Christ is risen. Today's the last day we're going to say that. Tomorrow uh, we start the fast of the apostles. Uh, and today, as you've seen, is the Feast of the Pentecost. We do a few different rituals, uh, different prayers today. Uh, and it's one of the major feasts of the church. Um, and as we just read in the book of Acts, tongues of fire appeared upon the apostles. Um, if you didn't listen to Acts, you can look at the icon and it's there for you. Um, and today's the, the birthday of, of the church. Um, I'll say that later. Okay. So um, one of the interesting things in the book of Acts, and I'll just start there, is the, the story, the way, the way we read it is there's this wind blowing, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they see what seemed to be tongues of fire and rested on each of them all of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other as in, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then it talks about all these people who were staying in Jerusalem, and they name all these different countries of all these different people. And when they heard the sound, this crowd gathered in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. And they were amazed, saying, aren't these all Galileans? They shouldn't be speaking our language. And so these people came from all over the world and they were in Jerusalem and they started hearing their own language. And it's, it's very shocking that the church does that. Of course, the Pentecost is the birthday of the church. This is when the church started. And every person heard their own language. I don't even know if the apostles were speaking different languages or whether they just heard it. But how welcoming is that when you're in a foreign country and you're in, you know, Japan and everyone's speaking Japanese you don't understand a word and then you hear someone speaking English and they have an American accent and you're like you're an American and it's so welcoming to hear that and I imagine the church that the first thing God did with the church was he made it open to everyone he made it welcoming there is no language there is no culture there is no particular group that has a lock on holiness it's open for all of us and this is what the church calls all of us to come to this, to this place and to be welcomed and to be loved and to be embraced. So we have the crucifixion and we have the resurrection and we have the ascension. And all of these events are very Christ-centered events. And Christ completed the reconciliation for us. So the aim of Christ is salvation through the remission of sins. This is what the cross is, and penalty for the restoration of man's relationship. So Christ brought us all into him. He reconciled us all into him. And so he did this through his flesh, by his death, his resurrection, sitting at the right hand of his father. And so now we are all in him. So now what remains? What's left? Fellowship with the father. So it's like Christ absorbed us, and so now you're all part of me, and now we become sons of the Father. So we want to live and love as children, as kids. It is one thing to die with Christ, to rise with him, to sit with him in heaven when he ascends, and it is another to live with the Father in the fellowship of love, like a bunch of children all sitting together in our dad's house, a house full of love. And that's what he wants for all of us. That's what this is. This is the church. This is the church. A bunch of kids sitting around in fellowship 
in love with their father. And the love is love with the father, it's love with Christ, and it's love with each other. And this is why the Pentecost is the birthday of the church, because this is what the church is. This is when it started and started its mission. And as you, you view the Pentecost this way, every time you, you, you read the readings today in particular, as I was hearing the readings of the church, I could see it, right? The spirit of adoption. You know, we say these words, what does that mean? That means we're all called to be sons of our father. So the aim of the father is that we should live with him with like children in his house. So Christ even said that he didn't want that, even Christ even said this when the apostles said they didn't want him to go, they said, he said, I have to go. So the spirit will come, right? And so how do we feel on this great day of Pentecost? We should feel this affection of our dad. We should feel the affection of the father towards us, that he wants us all gathered in his house together. And I want you to think back to when the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ. When did that happen? Who remembers? The theophany, right? The epiphany. And what did he say? What did the voice from heaven say when Jesus came out of the water? This is my son. So the last time the Holy Spirit descended, when Christ came out, he said, this is my son. And so first it comes on Christ, and then it comes on me. Why is it on me? Because I'm in Christ. Right? So Christ took me, and he said, you're with me. And he gave me this spirit of adoption. Right? And then God the Father says, this is my son, and I'm with him. And so now I'm his son as well. So there's this equalization between the Father's love for his son and the Father's love for us. And this really surpasses all comprehension. This is really amazing. So the same love poured out by the Father on the Son, on the, Feast of Pen on the Feast of Theophany, has now been poured out on us, the new humanity, the humanity that has accepted the redemption and adoption of Christ. So Jesus even said this. He said that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. So he's talking to the Father. He says, the love you give me, you give to them. Why? Because they're in me. And that's what Christ did. He brought us into him. It's interesting that on the day of the Pentecost, God picked fire. You know, as we all know, we've, we've all played with candles and we know how fire works. And what's interesting about fire is that, you know, when you have a candle that's lit and you have a candle that's not lit and you just touch the two, you have two candles. It's amazing because fire just replicates itself and it doesn't lose any of its properties in doing so, right? There's no less fire on the first candle because it's given itself up, and, but now you have two candles. It just doubled itself and yet never lost any of itself. And that's the Holy Spirit that's in us. That's the fire that's in us. It's a dormant fire. And what it has to do is it has to be fanned, right? We all attain this Holy Spirit, this fire in us when we were chrismated and baptized. It sits inside of us. Christ said, the kingdom of heaven is inside you. And what we have to do as, as parishioners, as Christians, is we fan those flames. <coughs> we didn't put the flame there. We can't even extinguish the flame. But we just have to fan it. 
So God the Father gives us his spirit. And what is that? What does that look like? What does the, the spirit of the Father look like? Who is this God? So if someone gives me their spirit, then I have something of them in me. So what is that? I mean, when a child gets adopted, for example, and he moves into a house with other kids, usually the other kids kind of know the rules. They all, they all act a certain way, and maybe this new child walks into this adopted house and he doesn't wash his hands before he eats. And they all say, no, 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 here we wash our hands before we eat, and this is where we go. We go to this sink, and then we come here, and then we sit at this mat, and this is the order. This is what we look like in this father's house. And so as we live with the father, we take on the characteristics of the father. Right? We, start to, we start to be a part of his household. And so what does that look like? What are these outcomes of the Holy Spirit? What's the fruit of this? So St. Paul in his epistle to the Galatians lists out the very famous nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the fruits of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So these are the fruits. This is the outcome of living with the Father. You live in his house, you start to act like him, and you follow his guidance and his rules, right? And in fact, we, we see this as we even start to take on the image and likeness of Christ. We start to talk like Christ and think like Christ and act like Christ. And isn't Christ just the physical manifestation of God? So what's a fruit? You think of a peach tree. It's an outcome, right? It's a result. It's a consequence of work, right? Some action by a person, right? So think of the farmer. What does the farmer do? He has to plow the soil. He adds some fertilizer. He plants seeds. He waters. He picks out rocks. He picks out weeds, right? He does all these things. And then he hopes, right? He hopes for some rain. He hopes for some sun, right? He hopes for good weather that isn't freezing. So after the farmer does all this stuff, the peach comes out. Did the farmer create the peach? He didn't create the peach. He maybe cultivated the peach. He helped the peach come along. But the peach, that's a miracle, right? That's the, the fruit of the farmer's work. So all he did is he did some stuff, and he picked out some rocks and added some water and added some soil. But he didn't make a fruit. God made the fruit. And so the farmer can do some stuff, but he can't do all of it. Um, I once went to a, a honey farm in Greece and the lady there explained to us how honey is made and she said that no human being can make honey, which I didn't know. She said the bees can make the honey. Only bees can make honey. Humans can't figure it out. And I said, but you know, you, I kind of thought to myself, you're a honey farmer. And so, so then what, what is that? Well, I, I build a, a hive for the bees and I tell the bees where to go and maybe I, I set it up so that the bees can do stuff, but only the bees make it. They do the thing. So the fruit of the, the Spirit, these nine fruits of the Spirit that St. Paul tells, these are characteristics and we can't create them ourselves. They're only things we can cultivate. We can help them along. So they're the outcome of an inner life and a struggle. They're all miracles from God and they manifest in our lives when we live in communion with him. So we can do the things that we can do, but we can't make fruit. Saint Seraphim says, however important prayer, fasting, vigil, and all the other Christian practices may be, they do not constitute the aim of the Christian life. 
Although it is true that they serve as an indispensable means of reaching this end, the true aim of our Christian life consists of acquisition of the Holy Spirit of God. These things are only means of acquiring the Holy Spirit of God. So when we look at these virtues, we can't try to get the virtue, right? If you, if you have to say, I need to be humble, I have to be humble, must be humble, must be humble, and you have to keep telling yourself to be humble, you're probably not humble. And there's very little you can do to just make yourself be humble, right? You can fool yourself and say, yeah, I'm not that good, but I know I am. You know, he's not that bad, but I know he is, right? And we can fool ourselves, but you're not going to fool yourself into becoming humble, right? You have to take on this characteristic from your father. You absorb it. So we start to get these fruits, these characteristics of God, not by force, but very calmly, very slowly, very peacefully, right? All we do is we do what the farmer does. We cultivate. We do what we can. We add the ingredients, and then God works in our lives. One of the elders says, all men are made in God's image, but to be in his likeness is granted only to those who through great love have brought their own freedom into subjection to God. That's what we can do. We bring our freedom into subjection to God. So going back to the farmer, God allows us to, to, to participate as creators. He lets the farmer think that he made a peach when all the farmer did was plant some seeds and add water. So I'll kind of round out. It's impossible to, aim, to attain holiness by our own power. The whole of scripture teaches us that the fruit is only God's grace. And Jesus says to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. He confirms this. Otherwise, if the fruit was a consequence of your own work, then wouldn't you be prideful in attaining the fruit? So it can't be a consequence of your work. The farmer in his mind has to know the peach is a miracle. He can say, I worked hard, but he has to know I didn't create the peach. So we don't have to become saints by our own power. We have to learn how to let God make us into saints. Our efforts have to be directed to the right end. We don't fight to become holy, not to attain holiness as a result of our own efforts but we fight to let God act in us without putting up any resistance ourselves. We should fight to open ourselves up to grace as fully as possible. So the fight isn't, I want to be holy. The fight is, I need to not fight God. The fight is, I need to fight myself who's fighting God. And once I stop fighting God, he does and he gives and we start to acquire these characteristics. So the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that showed up in Pentecost, it was visible as a flame. Buna Met, uh, Matthew the Poor, Bunametta says, the, this fire of the Holy Spirit is alive in all of us and needs only to be fanned. It waits for the oil of grace to inflame it. Even if we gather even one drop of this oil every day, just as the busy bee gathers her honey from the nectar of flowers, we gather oil through vigil, self-sacrifice, and genuine meekness, through sweet poverty and joyful fasting. 
through ceaseless supplication, through honoring all people, and giving thanks for everything through a tongue that blesses every name. So he gives you the recipe. He tells you how to fan, how to fan the Holy Spirit. Self-sacrifice, vigil, meekness, sweet poverty, joyful fasting, ceaseless supplication, honoring all people, and giving thanks for everything. I want to focus on this last one, and then I'll end. Thanks for everything. This is one of the ways we not resist God. This is one of the ways, <clears throat> when I told you earlier, that we're called not to fight against God. Right? When we fight against ourselves, who's fighting against God? Thanksgiving is one of these, is one of the ways we can do that. Simple gratitude is one of those actions that when we take it, we remove our resistance to God. I'll tell you, uh, there's a very nice quote here from St. Therese. I wasn't going to read it, but St. Therese says, what, what most draws down graces from our dear Lord is gratitude. For if we thank him for a gift, he is touched and hastens to give us ten more. And if we thank him again with the same sincerity, what an incalculable multiplication of graces. I have experienced this. Try it and you will see. My gratitude for all that he gives me is boundless, and I prove this to him in a thousand ways. This makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Those of us who are parents, what do we want from our kids? A, not true in our lives, but other than that, what do we want? Sometimes we do a lot of things, and we give a lot of things, and we sacrifice a lot, and what do we want? Just say thank you, right? And sometimes when our child says thank you, it's, it shocks us a little bit. You know, you're like, wow, they just said thank you. And that thank you, I'm giving you tips to the kids here, goes a long way. The parents, it's really all they want to hear. I don't want money from you. I don't want a gift. I don't want anything. I just want you to appreciate what I did. And when you do, as a parent, I can tell you, I'm much more inclined to give you more. When, when, when you let the child borrow a car for, you know, half an hour, and they're like, thanks, Dad, I really needed that. Thank you so much. I, oh, well, you know, you can borrow it more if you'd like. Right? I mean, if you're going to say thank you, right? But usually they come back, really, half an hour, that's it. <laughs> They'll learn. So if we look at our lives critically, we have to ask, do I have the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And probably the answer is no. These characteristics, though, are merely just a guide. They tell you whether you're doing enough watering and fertilizing and getting enough sunshine and pulling out the rocks and the weeds. If the fruit isn't going, growing, sorry, then there's something missing. When I look at myself critically, if the fruit isn't there, something's missing. Why isn't my Father's spirit in me? Am I really living in, his, in my Father's house? Am I really looking at his face every day? Am I really absorbing his characteristics? Or am I just kind of going through the motions. I live in the house, but I don't talk to my dad. I don't, I don't even want to acknowledge my dad. And so look for the things that might be missing. Is it I'm not confessing enough? Is it I'm not praying enough? Is it I'm not, I'm not doing enough charitable deeds? Is it if I'm not taking communion? I'm not being sincere in my prayers? Those are probably there as well. But more importantly, my final, final point, is that we need to throw ourselves into our Father's arms. We need to throw ourselves into our Father's arms. St. Therese, again, my last quote. 
Imagine that a father has two children who have been naughty and disobedient, or three, and that when he comes to punish them, he sees one who trembles and runs away from him in terror, knowing in his heart that he deserves to be punished. But instead, his brother throws himself into his father's arms, telling him that he's sorry he has displeased him, and that he loves him, and to prove it from now on, he will be good. I believe that the happy father's heart will not be able to resist his son's filial love, since he knows his sincerity and love. Yet he also knows that his son will fall into the same faults again, but he is always ready to forgive him if the son always appeals in his heart. So as we celebrate the Feast of the Pentecost, we realize that through the resurrection and the ascension and the sitting at the right hand, Christ has taken us and brought us into him. So now we are in Christ. And when, when, when the Father appeared and said, this is my son, and the Spirit came down upon the son, this is today. This is the day God made the church. The church is the Father's house, the house that's full of love, love for each other and love for the Father and love for Christ. Right? And this is, this is the feeling we have when we come to this place. Right? All we feel is God's love. And as we look in our lives and we see that we don't have the characteristics of this God, our Father, we ask ourselves, what more can we do? And I think the, the biggest thing that we can start doing right away is to give thanks, is to not fight. Sometimes we, we, we're unhappy with what we have. We're unhappy with the lot we've been given. We're unhappy with whatever it is. And what are we saying to God? I don't like what you're doing. And what does that mean? I'm going to fight against you. I'm going to fight against you so much that you gave me X. I'm going to pray for Y because I don't like X. Instead, I'm going to thank you for X. And if I learn to thank you for X and not ask for something else, I start to bring down my own barriers, my own resistance to the work you're trying to do in me, especially when X is hard and when X isn't pleasant. But X will make me grow. And as I pull down the resistance, I will grow. May God give us grace on this, this wonderful feast and uh, bring us all into the joy of his home. And glory be to God forever. Amen.